Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. Thrilled to have you back. I'm Spencer Pollack, cybersecurity attorney at Niles Barton and Wilmer. And as always, glad to have you here. We've been getting a lot of good questions, a lot of good comments, especially based off solar winds, kind of the legal aspects. So keep those coming. Call me 443-381-3586 or email me at sspollock, that's P as in Paul, O-L-L-O-C-K, at nilesbarton.com. Today, I'm really excited because we have one of the uh, proverbial OGs in the cyber insurance world, Bob Parisi from Munich Re. Uh, he's the head of the North American North America Cyber Solutions Group. And Bob, thank you for being here with us today. Yes, yeah, Spencer, I'm 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 excited. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know that I'm uh, don't know that I'm the OG, but I, I definitely was. You know, I was around at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that in a completely complimentary way, just because. Oh no, yeah, you've got. I've had I've had other people describe me. I mean, I, I I've had Godfather and Grandfather of Cyber also thrown at me a couple of times. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll I'll live with the OG. It's a little cooler. Yeah, that's right. I try to be hip as much as I can be, um, but I, I do believe that you do have a lot of wealth, a lot of knowledge, on depth in this area, because I know you've been here almost from the start of cyber, with cyber insurance, cyber law, towards the late 90s. Can you kind of give us an idea of the various roles that you played from the start in the cyber world? Yeah, sure. I mean, I forget who, uh, I forget whose quote this is, but it was kind of like half a life is showing up, right? So, uh, so my first, you know, dipped my toe into the cyber insurance world when I was uh, at AIG. I, I had the role of chief underwriting officer and divisional counsel for one of their subsidiaries that wrote financial lines, and uh, they were put they put together a team that was going to address the dot com uh, the dot com market that we were going to put together you know professional liability all kinds of property casualty we were going to be the be all and end all you know insurance company for the dot com companies uh, you know that. That changed a little, obviously, uh, after a while. But what what it did was, you know, I worked and helped organize the team that put together what I, you know, what I think I can honestly say is probably the first commercially viable cyber insurance policy uh, for the market. I mean, there were there were variations on the theme out there, you know, kind of bubbling along, but no one really, you know, went in full bore uh, before AIG. I mean. With, with underwriters, with claims, with, you know, with forms, uh, both domestically and internationally, uh, stayed there for about um, a little less than, I'd say about nine years or so, uh, till I had the opportunity to move over to Marsha McLennan, the, the commercial insurance broker, as their cyber product leader. Stayed there for 15 years, helping clients, you know, really understand, measure, manage, however you want to talk about it. Uh, their cyber risk. Um, so, uh, and then in December of this past year, uh, I, I once again had a great opportunity presented to me to to move over to Munich Re, uh, come back to the underwriting side. So, I, I like to think I've seen a little bit uh, of all of it, kind of the legal, the underwriting, the broking. I, you know, I think the only thing I I haven't done at the moment has you know, on the insurance side has been a you know a buyer of the insurance. Yeah, I mean, you obviously have a very diverse background, which 
I think it's a common theme throughout cyber in terms of that kind of almost a team centric approach where you need to have the insurance, you need to have the legal, you need to have the technical, you need to have the PR, that you need to have the broker. So to understand those different facets, and I'm sure that you've seen a lot since cyber started, can you kind of give a, an idea of what you've seen almost from the start until now, the trends that you've seen, I guess, from the start of cyber until today? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, not to uh, not to confuse your listeners, uh, you know, I had the benefit of being around when things were starting and early. So, uh, you know, uh, my technical background is is largely uh, I would describe it as thesaurical. I've got I got lots of jargon. Uh, if you actually ask me to do anything with a computer, uh, that's uh, you know that's not me. That's somebody else. But I'm, I'm in the well, same. What, what what it was nice though was sitting at AIG and and then at Marsh and now at Munich Re, I've I've had the ability to tap into some really big brains. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of technology folks. Early days with uh, with AIG when we were putting the product together, we relied heavily, uh, very heavily, on the folks at Unisys and IBM in understanding you know technology based risks, which is really what cyber is, right? If you think about cyber, it's it's one of two things. It's it's either the risk associated with your being reliant upon technology, or the fact that you you know touch data in some way, shape, or form. So that those two categories pretty much covers uh, covers everything. But uh, so I, I've had you know the benefit of being able to tap into some really you know some really great resources. Kroll. Uh, was also one of the early days companies that we were able to talk to to help us uh, as an underwriter understand the risk. But I th- I think you know the evolution of cyber wa- was interesting. It, um, it it had a couple of different ways, and it depended on which carrier you were with, to some extent as to what you know how you came at it. Uh, early days companies like Chubb uh, or Legacy Chubb came at it from a fidelity perspective. Uh, AIG came at it from a little bit more of a um, you know, professional liability, technology E&O perspective. But what, what emerged over time was that it really is more of a property casualty-esque risk than it is a financial lines or fidelity risk. And, that, and that's something that that appeared over time. But early days, one of the first things we were addressing was the fact that uh, casualty underwriters had come out with the statement that if you had a website, if you were a company and you had a website, you you were a broadcaster or a publisher, and you lost your advertising and personal injury coverage out of your general liability policy. So our, our first, you know, our first baby step was really just filling that gap. As we started to watch the dot com bubble, and we didn't know it was a bubble at the time, right? Uh, we just thought it was, you know. We thought it was the new economy. Uh, we saw that there was a very different way that companies were consuming technology and uh, and using technology for how they operated their business. And we're like, well, that's that's a change in a risk profile. Uh, we had just you know started to discuss or deal with the Y two K issues, and you started to see that technology really was embedded in everything that we did and everything that we were doing moving forward. So there was a thought that you had to address it differently from the point of view of how you insured it, both you know, how you underwrote it 
and the wording. So the first cyber polys were, were really, uh, they were really built for dot-com companies and that, uh, that e-commerce mentality that we all had back in 99. When, when that bubble burst though, there was, you know, there was a lot of angst, right? Uh, a little agita as to, did we just build something that, uh, that has, you know, no market? Interesting thing was, and this is kind of after 2000, 2001, we saw that all of those great dot-com applications and technologies that got built that now had no, no private equity funding and were just sitting there were now available really cheap to you know, old, hard, you know, uh, you know, brick-and-mortar companies. So these brick-and-mortar companies, these hard, you know, hard old-school companies were starting to snap up and adapt all that technology that had been kind of too clever by half and too expensive you know, by twice. Uh, and they were, you know, I, I believe the metric was, I'm trying to remember, but I think from 2001 to, to 2002 or something like that, we saw a quadrupling of the use of technology and internet-enabled applications and systems. So we're like, okay, uh, we're back in business uh, because now the rest of the world, uh, which you know, otherwise known as the world, uh, was you know was migrating their risk towards this cyber risk you know environment, um, and and we started to re uh, reconfigure the policies, make them more receptive to you know what those risks were. Uh, initial and it's it's funny how stuff has come full circle because initially the big push uh, was not on privacy it was on the business interruption it was on the property related it was on the asset coverages and the and the operational disruption all of that kind of got pushed to the back around I think 2003 2004 when we saw the you know the privacy breach notification statutes start to proliferate and all of a sudden cyber became, a breach notification coverage. And you had lots of companies rushing to sell it, lots of companies rushing to buy it. Uh, in many cases, just to get that breach notification cost uh, or that, you know, that breach coach coverage. Uh, and, and that was fine, but it 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 gave, it kind of created a little bit of a, you know, a, you know, I don't know, uh, Kind of a smoke from a distant fire clouding up what was going on because at the same time companies were still having that business interruption that asset uh, exposure but they weren't paying attention to it because everyone was concerned about the breach notifications as that my as that became more standardized as we got a better handle on you know what to do with a privacy breach and as it became apparent that we weren't seeing the huge litigation come out of some of the, you know, just the privacy breaches. It didn't evolve like EPLI, which is the way a lot of people thought it would early on. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, companies started to recognize that the biggest disruptors to their ability to function was no longer uh, things like weather or adverse political conditions. It was unplanned tech outages. It was cyber attacks. It was failure of technology vendors. And, all, and they started to look to the insurance companies to provide that coverage. Uh, and I'd say since probably 2010, uh, maybe even 2015, you saw the cyber insurance market start uh, struggle uh, to keep up uh, with that demand and to, and to find a ways to really align with what was a property-based exposure. 
you know, fast forward to the Lloyd's mandate on silent cyber saying, hey, uh, if if you're going to provide cyber coverage, you've got to be expressed. And if you're going to exclude it, you got to be expressed. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's been like a kind of, a, I don't know, a glass of cold water in, in people's faces that all that risk I have suddenly isn't going to be covered because of ambiguous or unclear language in my property policy, because now there's a you know big fat exclusion sitting there. Uh, it's not going to be covered under my casualty uh, policy. Again, big fat exclusion. Uh, but I still got the risk. And frankly, the risk is increasing. I- I'm, I'm migrating things to the cloud. I'm becoming more tech enabled, uh, you know, and certainly the you know migration of the workforce, you know, during the pandemic has made that clear, uh, you know, you know, clearer than ever before. So companies suddenly started to look around and go, I buy coverage for, or I, I transfer the risk associated with my not being able to function. The thing that's going to make me not be able to function is is most likely technology related. I need technology-related cover, uh, you know, for that risk, and that's what's probably driven the cyber market since 2010, 2005. Uh, if you kind of looked at it in terms of just you know uh, premium spikes, it was that 2003 to 2010, all about privacy. Uh, from 2015 you know, to uh, to today, it's it's been about the business interruption. Uh, yeah, I mean, you make a lot of good points. And I think one of the big things that I picked up with what you're saying is like, this is such a convoluted market that's so hard to mark the risk because of how fast these threats, how fast the laws are changing. And I'm sure for insurers, it's got to be just beyond frustrating, like pull your hair out frustrating. And in terms of moving forward, though, because I mean, you've talked a lot about this different evolution you know, from the start till now, I guess, where do you see this going in the next 12 months or five years? So, you know, one of the things, again, you know, since I've kind of switched gears a little bit, right, going from the brokers to the uh, to the carrier side, I, I think one of the things that, you know, people have become to recognize is that uh, this is evolving so quickly. Uh, you know, what we thought was the risk last year is something we're, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're not worried about as much, you know, this year. I mean, for example, uh, 10 years ago, ransomware was not really on anyone's radar, at least not in the mm-hmm. cyber insurance community, yeah, not the way it is today. Uh, we weren't thinking about, as you, you kind of pointed out, solar winds. We, you know, cloud. Uh, you know, cloud was called something else entirely. Uh, so, I think as things continue to change, we're having to be fairly nimble in understanding how that changes the risk. One of the biggest complaints you, you would hear in the cyber insurance market was often, you know, we we don't know how to underwrite this because we don't have sufficient loss data. We don't have materially or statistically significant actuarial data. Well. You know, I, I think one of the things is I'm not sure how helpful that data would even be, given that the uh, the risk is constantly changing. Uh, you know, both both in terms of the threats that are out there and the way that companies are are, are operating and how, you know what their risk profile looks like. So I think it's it's being able to be nimble. Uh, and, and the one thing I think you can 
if you wanted to categorize it very simply, and and obviously when you do that, you, you kind of you lose a lot in the translation. But one of the things that we focus on is not necessarily whether a company is secure. Uh, not you know, I'm not saying we don't like we don't want the company to be secure, but I think it's you know it's not the it's not the last question, right? We, it, it's nice to have a company that has a deep moat and a high wall and has that crunchy perimeter, uh, but that's tough to have, uh, you know, today with, uh, you know, a diverse uh, remote workforce with mobility. What, what you really want to do is be able to understand, you know, is this company resilient? Uh, is this a company that can work through the evolving threats, that can work through a getting hacked that could work through a ransomware attack and come out the other end, not completely kind of, you know, wheels off and busted by the side of the road. So it, it really is a resilience discussion these days, as opposed to a security discussion. So that's, I'd say that's the biggest change. And I don't see that changing, right? You're always going to want to know as an underwriter, is this a company that can work through the problem and mitigate the potential loss? Uh, uh, you know, understanding how to do that is is the challenge, right? Uh, and we've seen, I, th- I think, what we've seen in the marketplace is we've seen a whole host of insurance companies that got on the cyber insurance train because they they forgot one simple thing: they forgot that cyber was the adjective and insurance was the noun, and you were going to have losses. There was, I think, a perception. You know, probably around 2003, 2005 to, to 2010, that there would never be any big losses. That this would be as profitable to the insurance company as as, as employed lawyers' uh, coverage is. And when you started to see losses, uh, you know, again, ransomware has probably been the most uh, the most painful to the insurance market. That's when you started to see markets literally just, you know, uh, shut the doors on writing cyber and, and just stop. Uh, and you've seen other markets uh, continue in the uh, continue in the space and dramatically change their underwriting posture. Uh, you know, the cyber market for the first time in its existence uh, has has hardened across the board. So. We're seeing uh, a retraction in capacity uh, in many cases. You know, some companies not being willing to put up as much limits. We're seeing uh, pricing uh, go up, uh, whereas historically, cyber, you know, you would see premium. You know, if you didn't get a flat renewal, you you might have got a discount, or if you had a little bit of hair on your risk, you might have got charged an additional three percent. Uh, now we're seeing anywhere from 20 to 50 percent be a fairly common discussion on on renewal premiums. Uh, you're seeing retentions go up, so you're seeing the market you know, really harden in a way that it never has before, but you know, but in a way that's not dissimilar from the way other um, other lines of coverage have hardened. It's just the first time that the insurance market, the cyber insurance market has had this response. And and it's probably about time. Uh, For the last 10 years, all you saw in the cyber market was a constant broadening of the coverage. Uh, Every year, there was a new aspect of the coverage that came out that made it a little bit broader, that made it a little bit more attractive, where at the same time, you kept kept seeing pricing go down. Uh, 
So I think what you've seen now is reality catch up with the cyber market. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. And a lot of what you said, I kind of break down. Well, I guess the two biggest things that you said that I, I found very interesting was you were talking about the resiliency and the need to be nimble. And that's what I see every day. You know, in my law practice with cyber clients, you know, I call it lean and mean. You know, people really need to be able to move quickly. You know, lawyers need to be able to move quickly with the law evolving and being able to advise. And same with the insurance world. And just the rapid approach and also the, the market hardening, that's going to make it a lot tougher on the clients' insureds to really find that good coverage. Um, and it's fascinating. It's Cyber is fascinating in every kind of facet that I look at with this. And I guess last question, same question I ask every one of my guests. If you could sum up the most important thing that the audience could take away in one sentence, what would that be? <laughs> it's a tough question. I love that question because nobody can nobody follows the rule, but that's okay. I always I do love that. Yeah, that's like, you know, it's like if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I would, you know, uh, I I would just, you know, don't do anything stupid. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you know what? It's uh, I, I'll I'll explain. Uh, you know, looking back, uh, you know, uh, I went to high school. I went to college. You know, I look back and go, "Geez, I did some stupid things." Uh, I see my kids do some stupid things, and it's uh, and I'm sure even sitting here today, as you know, someone who's been in, uh, you know been out of law school since 1989 I, you know occasionally i'll do something stupid uh not intentionally hopefully uh but we all make mistakes i think you know what i've you know what i've seen is you try to try to mitigate those uh try to step back i mean I, i'm sure you have the same thing when you uh when you prep someone say for a deposition uh, i remember doing that you know and a uh, one of the uh, one of the more skilled attorneys, more seasoned attorneys, when I was an associate, said, "Here's here's the thing. Uh, tell them to take a pause. Uh, listen to the question. You you don't have to blurt out the. There's no uh, there's no time constraint. You don't have to answer this question. This isn't jeopardy. You don't have to ring in before someone else buzzes in. There's no uh, there's no award for doing it quickly." Uh, you know, and I, what is, I think there's a military statement that, you know, was it, you know, uh, you know, slow is fast and fast is smooth. I forget how it goes, but it basically says, you know, you're go there's, we're all imperfect people, right? There's none of us are, uh, are unflawed. What we can do is to manage, uh, you know, uh, to manage to kind of mitigate our flaws, right? That's insurance at the end of the day. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's my mantra. It's like, don't do anything stupid. Try and do it better tomorrow than you did today. And, and you hope for the best. Uh, it's a little hyper philosophical, but, uh, for cyber insurance, but what are you going to do? It's snowing out. That's right. That's right. And what you just said is kind of how I live my life is I just try not to do anything too stupid, you know, there you go. Try, uh, try put out of my mouth as much as I can. Uh, Spencer, well, Spencer, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Bob, thank you so much. This has been a very informative, very uh, thought-provoking, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, happy to come. I mean, if you, I'll come back anytime you ask. 
I, I really appreciate it. I'm definitely going to be having you back on soon because obviously the market keeps evolving. And uh, to all the listeners, feel free to send in questions, comments. I can pass them on to Bob. Call me, 443-381-3586 or email at sspollock at nilesbarton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.